from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing. My name is Ben Grant, he's JB, and we are here to get you set for the Toronto Argonauts taking on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Halifax. And before we get into things today, and we got a ton on the table as we try and get you set for Touchdown Atlantic, I want to talk to you a little bit about something in the water brewing. JB, you brought some something in the water brewing with you out to the East Coast, some some longboat. What's the plan there? Uh, yeah, uh, I did. I've... Uh... I have shared it with uh, with people out here. Everybody seemed to really enjoy it. They loved the story of the Argo coming in after practice, and uh, it is a big hit. Yeah, it's a it's a huge it's a great story. Great beer. It's a beer that's made specifically for Argos fans. I wanted to get some out here to the east, but I was only taking carry on luggage. I didn't think I could smuggle it into the uh, uh, onto my flight. But yeah, there are a few guys out here. I know we got a ton of. Argos fans out on the West Coast as well, including, you know, like Elliot, for example, we see chugging beers on, uh, on on the Twitter feed. He would have loved, I'm sure, a longboat. So one of these days, I'll find a way to, to get one of those out here. But yeah, it's great that you had longboat traveling east. Um, I'll, uh, I'll, be, I'll be without one this week. It's my first week without a Something in the Water brewing beer with me. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll make up for it when I get home, for sure. If you haven't visited Something in the Water, go into Liberty Village. Uh, it's it's right there. It's just steps from the Argos practice facility at Lamport Stadium and steps from BMO Field where the Argos play their home games. It's a great place to drop by prior to taking in the football game. JB, here's all the stuff we got today. We've got PFF scores to go through. I want to go through the last time the Argos were 6-0, and which they have a chance to do this week. We'll talk about the Halifax update, plus go through some injury news, which... Uh, there are a lot of additions to this week. Uh, we've got a game preview, OCDC, one thing, the predictions, put me down for 20, and CFL picks. All that more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. PFF scores were a little quieter this week, JB. They Instead of the Argos dominating the scores top to bottom like they have in many weeks, this one a little less so, although... Flo Remolade tore it up. Uh, he ended up with 10 pressures. He had a sack in there too and a, and a hit. He, through five games so far, has 30 pressures, which is third in the league. And I think that's a misleading stat too because he's only played five games. Some of these other guys have played six and seven with Toronto having two early buys. I, I know we've talked about Adarius Pickett being one of the Argos' def- best defensive players, if not the best defensive player. And last week, you even shouted him out as like, look out for this guy as the defensive player of the East. Are we maybe moving a little too quickly on that with Flo Remolade uh, putting up numbers like he has? Yeah. Um, the the only reason I would, I would lean towards Pickett is I just think he does more things, which is not Flo's you know, uh, fault is just not what he does on the team. But if you look at Pickett, he's just more, more variable in terms of blitzing, um, in terms of getting down the field and secondary coverage. But for sure, that line works because you have Pickett coming one from one side with speed and flow from the other, and then you have power up the middle, and that that's what makes that line uh, so dangerous. So uh, no, I mean he's. He's he's really been he hasn't 
had as many sacks. You see, he gets a lot more pressures than he does sacks, so he doesn't kind of grab the headlines. But he's been a he's been an incredible signing. I actually think one of the reasons that he doesn't get he didn't he doesn't get as many sacks is because quarterbacks know he's coming. He's so consistently in the backfield that quarterbacks are releasing it before he gets there, assuming he's going to get there. You see it all the time where he's coming around the blind side and the quarterback is just ready to deliver it and and uh, throws it early because he knows he's about to take a hit. And oftentimes and he does. He's getting there without numbers, which is the thing that's really, I think, the most helpful for the defense is he's able to generate pressure without without twists and without overloads. Yeah, just coming, just like flying around the outside. And he's also being sent through the middle, too, because Mace is using him as a middle linebacker at times. And and he sort of uh, can choose his gap a little bit more um, with a little bit more, I don't know, craftiness. Uh, he, he seems to get the center leaning one way and then going the other. So there are some creative ways that, that Corey Mace has gotten Aromalade involved, too. What is it about Aromalade's game? Because you look at him, he's, he's like an undersized Ivy League edge rusher. And you say, well, you know, what what's so special about him that, that makes him this dominant? Like, for me, I just think, I think it's the pure speed. But do you see anything else in his game that that leads to these numbers like 30 pressures over over the first yeah, five games I mean, I mean the speed and step are both elite and the bend yeah uh, yeah, yeah, the bend, yeah you know the bend is you know he he turns that corner um you know you know like he he would crush the hoop drill he turns that corner so well as a defensive lineman um you know that's really what uh what sets him apart and for those listening at home, what we mean when we're talking about bend, if you don't know that term, the way in which defensive ends seem to almost defy gravity as they turn the corner, where the, most of their body is leaning at a 45 degree angle or sometimes even more as they look to sort of, uh, uh, you know, rip and narrow their way around the outside. And so some guys are really good at that. They have that elite bend where they they have this this balance that allows them to stay upright, not get knocked off balance and fall and still continue making their way to the quarterback. So yeah, he's got he's got a lot of balance and flexibility. And that comes I think with the the sort of heavier base that he's got. He's just he doesn't look like we said this from training camp. He looks like a linebacker out there in some ways and yet he's clearly an elite defensive end. The last time the Argos were 6 and 0 was 1935. <laughs> Which, which is a long time ago. The Argos have a chance to go six and zero this week. Before we get into what was happening in 1935, how is it that this franchise that has been around for 150 years, that has won more Grey Cups than anyone else, how is it that six and zero is the longest? winning streak they've had to start a season. They've had longer in-season winning streaks. Doug Flutie had a couple of those, but to start a season. You'd figure at some point, because other teams around the league have 10, 11, 12, and 0 starts in their in their histories, and yet the Argos, for whatever reason, what do you make of that, JB? It's just, just one of those weird things. How are the Argos, how is 6-0 and the best they've ever done in, in team history? <laughs> um, yeah, it, I mean, it, I think it just speaks to how difficult it is to go 6-0. and um, You know, there's a very competitive league and uh, a lot of travel involved and to to be able to to win in your division, to win in the other division. I just think it's it's really hard to uh, to 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 do that. It doesn't doesn't actually surprise me that 
it doesn't happen very often because um, there's even though you might have a really poor team now and again in the CFL, like the top four teams are almost always pretty good. It isn't like sometimes in the NFL you might have four or five really easy games in a row, and you just don't have that in the CFL. Like you're almost always going to play a team that is very good. So I just think it's a hard thing to do, which makes it all the more impressive. 1935 was a bit of a misleading one because there were actually two occasions in which the Argos started 6-0. The 1935 one, while that was the most recent 6-0 start, you actually go back to 1921 to find the most successful 6-0 start. That season, it was just a six-game schedule. The Argos ran the table, ended up beating Edmonton in the Grey Cup, uh, dominating Edmonton in the Grey Cup, in fact. And if you want to read more about that, Reeve Batstone wrote a piece this past week on the 1935 and 1921 uh, records that are there. So you can look into that a little bit more if you want to look on xsandargos.com. I, I find one of the most entertaining things for me, looking back at the 1935 season, is to see the collapse there because the Argos start 6-0, and but don't even end up making the playoffs that year. There's a little bit more to that. So their 6-0 and start wasn't as impressive as this 5-0 and start has been so far for the Argos because... Three of those six games in 1935 were against the Montreal Winged Wheelers, who went 0-9 that season and were just getting beat up by everybody they played. So so three of those six wins have a little bit of an asterisk next to them. And it was the Hamilton Tigers who won the division that year. And back then, in 1935, there were actually seven different divisions playing uh, rugby union football. And so each division had one representative go on to the the Grey Cup playoffs. And so Toronto, even though they finished second in what was called the Interprovincial Rugby Football Union Division, they didn't move on to the playoffs. Only the Hamilton Tigers did. And and it's so it's so funny to me to see the other teams around there. You had uh, the Sarnia Imperials escape their division. The uh, Varsity Blues and Queens Golden Gales both ended up getting out of their division. The Winnipeg Pegs, who beat out the Winnipeg Victorias in the Manitoba division. The Regina Rough Riders were in there. The Calgary Bronx were in there. The Vancouver uh, Merrill Lomas uh, were also in there. So it was it's just such a weird... You look at this playoff bracket, and you're like, oh, like Sarnia Imperials, the Sarnia Imperials are, are still around playing football uh, to a, a different degree, obviously. But yeah, some of these other teams, it's, it's pretty fantastic. So Winnipeg... The Winnipeg Pegs ended up beating the Hamilton Tigers in the Grey Cup, which um, with a, by a, a one-score margin. And I think everybody following the CFL recently is very familiar with uh, Winnipeg beating Hamilton by one score. So uh, in the Grey Cup final, so that uh, that that's there's some there's some funny stuff to look up if you want to go back to the that 1935 season. But I think what the Argos are aiming for is that 1921 6-0 start where they end up shutting out. Uh, Edmonton 23 nothing in the Grey Cup. So that's what they're looking to duplicate this time. On the injury front, uh, this is a little different for Toronto this week, and I want to explain to you how this works. So as you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a big fan of the Argos, you are aware that the Argos have had a ton of guys on the six-game injured list. After the fifth game, your players on the sixth game are allowed to report to practice uh, so that you can, I guess, gauge where they are. And I, I suppose long term, this is to avoid reoccurrence of injury, et cetera, et cetera. And so the guys that are on the six game injured list appear on the injury report this week. 
That said, I wouldn't expect any of them to come off the injury report this week. So you see guys like Markeith Ambles, for example, uh, Enoch Mwamba is listed on there, Tommy Neald, Shane Richards, uh, Darius Bladek, like all those guys that are on the six game are listed. But I think what's more telling is the guys that actually were able to go somewhat uh, in practice today. So Markeith Ambles was listed as limited. That's an encouraging sign. To me, that says once the six game is done, Maybe we expect to see Markeith Ambles, who's been out with that ankle injury. Maybe he's he's going to be good to go after the six games. And that's the case with a couple of these guys. So, for example, Shane Richards was also limited with an ankle. Uh, we had uh, Markeith Ambles, as I said, limited with an ankle. And then a few guys that didn't go at all. So that's where you've got uh, Enoch Mwamba, who did not practice. He's still out with the knee injury. So... That's something where I think we're probably going to see this this extended if they're not able to go this week. Darius Blitek, same thing with the foot injury, unable to practice today. I probably would would bet on him not coming off after that that sixth game is up. So as you look through this, there are a couple encouraging things. First of all, I, again, throw those this the six six game guys. We'll look at those later. Isaiah Cage went full today. Uh, he's been out for a couple games with that thigh injury. JB, we know that we've seen pretty good production from Tate. Do you go right back with Cage? Do you leave Tate in there? What's what's the best way to approach the scenario? Because I know like you're not a fan of losing losing your starting spot due to injury, but Tate has played well. Yeah, I think if Cage if Cage can go, I mean if he can go 100%, you you start Cage. Uh, I think that's the play. If but he has to be able to go 100%. If he's not 100%, then just let him recover i wouldn't even dress him i would just let him recover and get him back and cage did not have a great game on the east coast last year he played and remember he had been on the injury list came back for the one game and i think that was it i don't think he played again uh, for the rest of the year as i recall but yeah he just looked off in in uh in uh, wolfville so we'll see uh, how they approach that but i'm with you i think Tate, like tate's been playing well so Unless you're 100% certain he's 100%, then yeah. A couple of other interesting injury notes. So Daniel Adwaboye was unable to, to practice with a hamstring injury. That's a that's an issue for special teams. Adwaboye is an outstanding special teams player. Without him, unquestionably, there will be a drop-off on specials. Where it does open things up is the Argos have been in a position where they've been forced to dress a lot of running backs. This opens up something, if he can't go this week... It does provide other opportunities defensively and maybe dressing an extra defensive lineman. We've talked about that and the need for that. It's a little different because this is a Canadian player. So I, I don't know how much it's going to open up in terms of like getting Oakman, Brinkman, Hendricks all in, in there. I don't think that's the door to do that, but it does provide some opportunities. Maybe that's where you now bring Jordan Williams back and he was able to practice full. Jordan Williams with a knee injury. He's been out for a few games. He practiced full today. So that's obviously a really good sign. Um, Maurice Carnell, Darius Bladek, uh, Enoch Mwamba, like I said, all unable to practice. Tommy Neal was limited. So Tommy Neal, I think after the six game is up, probably goes. DeMonte Coxie with an ankle injury was limited. I expect him to go. Cam Phillips, out with a shoulder injury, did not practice. He has missed a lot of first days, though. The last few weeks, he had a chest injury, now a shoulder injury. I wouldn't necessarily say that one game out to this point is an issue for, for Cam Phillips because... They sort of have been on a cycle where he misses the first day of practice each week. 
to be a bit more healthy for game day. So I would keep an eye on that one, but it's not necessarily one that's that, that's jumping out. Uh, Josh Haggerty, who's been out from the beginning of the year with the hand injury, he's limited. That's a really positive sign. So I expect him back after the six games are up. Thomas Costigan was limited. That's good to see. He missed last week's game with the ankle injury and uh, he probably is going to be back soon. So that's the status of things with, with the injury report. JB, any positions of concern to you? Do you are you worried about special teams with the possibility of Adeboboye out? Like, how do you how do you view this coming into uh, the Halifax game in terms of injuries? No, I think you know I think they're preposterously healthy for a team that's won this many games. So I think you just uh, you know if, if you're missing one or two guys, of course it'd be nice to have him on specials. He he has been uh, terrific, but I you know I don't think you can. You can use that as a reason to be worried. Yeah, I, I agree. I, like they did have a lot of stars start on the sixth game, but it's not like they've seen a ton of injuries since the season started. They've actually been able to maintain their health pretty well. Uh, knocking on wood here. A couple of, you know, they, they've obviously had a few guys go down. Jordan Williams, Cage, you know, there have been guys, but that's the case with every team. But every other team seems to have lost their quarterback. And that's something that Toronto has not done again being sure to knock on wood here, that's uh, that's a big difference for them because you're seeing so many teams struggle. And with that, let's get to Saskatchewan's injury report. They've got some really good news if you're a Riders fan listening to this. So three big-time receivers who could be potentially back in the fold. You've got Jake Winicky, who was able to go full today. Uh, that would be huge. Braden Linnaeus was able to go full. He's been battling a lower back injury. And Keen Schaefer-Baker didn't go full. He was limited with the hip injury. But the fact that those three guys are practicing, if Tevin Jones is fine, if they're able to otherwise uh, stay healthy in that receiving room, it gives uh, fine a lot more options. Because like we saw last week, their game against BC, they had nothing going on downfield. They, fine had, there was, there was a point where where Mason Fine had 22 completions for, I think, 156 yards. And usually if you've got 22 completions, you've, you're looking at a 300-yard game. But every completion was at the line of scrimmage. There was nothing at all downfield. And part of it is just that they didn't have... Like, this team should have had a stacked receiving core this year with all of the additions they made. But because they've had these three guys out from the beginning of the year, pretty much... Uh, it's really limited them, and you really saw that with BC last week, where they were just forcing Saskatchewan to throw, to throw short, and they couldn't get anyone open deep. And so, uh, we'll see what difference it makes. But that's the big news, and obviously, even though it's not on this week's injury list, Trevor Harris not being in for probably the rest of the season. But we'll we'll see uh, how that one goes. But we're going to be looking at we're going to be looking at Mason Fine. Uh, sort of doing his thing uh, again this week. Uh, these receivers have to, I don't know if scare you, JB, but they have to at least raise your eyebrows to see all three of these guys out there practicing. Yeah, I mean, especially like Wenicke's, a you know, clearly an Argo killer. Um, it's it's a good wide receiver group. I mean, you know, before the season began, um, I had Saskatchewan as a very good team, uh, you know, talent-wise, they should be elite. So if if all of those guys are are good to go, I mean it's it's tempered a little by the quarterback, but um, that will, you know, I think that will um, increase their um, 
their firepower from what we've seen the last couple of weeks. All right, JB, let's get into that game preview. Uh, this, this, is, this is house money right now for the Argos, as far as I can see it. You look at the standings, everybody else is a speck in the rearview mirror right now in the East. It, it doesn't mean the game's not important. Every football game is, but there's no pressure on the Argos this week. There's, the only pressure that they have is the pressure that comes with being the number one ranked team, but they've been that for a few weeks now. So it's not like this is the new pressure of, oh, everyone's looking at us, we're number one. They've got clearance in that regard too. Like you've got Winnipeg with, you got Winnipeg with a couple losses. Uh, you know, BC's obviously just there, but but they, you know, they're they're struggling a little bit right now. Like even, you know, questions about whether Vernon Adams is going to be healthy enough to play uh, this coming week or next week or whatever it is. So no pressure on Toronto. Is this a must game? We must win game for the Rough Riders this week. Uh, um, no, I, the, the, I mean the West seems so muddled. <laughs> uh, you know, who knows what's going on with BC. I, I mean, yes, I think that, you know, they lost last year in what was a game that really turned the Argo season around. It was really the start of their march to the Grey Cup. Um, it really brought the team together in a way that was palpable for, for those of us who were there. I'm sure, and in, and in you know, um, on the flip side, it, it is the game that lit Saskatchewan season on fire. And it just completely fell apart from this game. So I'm sure they're very aware of that and and keen to not have this be a season-ending um, event. So I would say Saskatchewan definitely is more um, fired up for this game because of how it really how it impacted them last year, where they looked great coming in and then. McManus ran back that interception and that was kind of the end of Saskatchewan's season for some reason. <laughs> I know. It was it's so weird though, because I remember us talking about it going to that game. We're like, oh man, Saskatchewan, this isn't gonna be easy. And it was back to backs against Saskatchewan. It was a home and away, uh, but or home and home or whatever, but it was an away and away really for the Argos, because they were going to uh, Wolfville and then going to Regina for back-to-back games against the Riders, both of which felt like home games, obviously, for Saskatchewan. And we were just going into that thinking, oh, I don't know, the Riders are playing so well right now. The Argos are off to a bit of a rough start. And even in that game, that that really was the Riders' game to win. They had the lead with the ball uh, late in the fourth quarter and just went McManus, uh, ended up reading Fajardo's eyes, cut in front of a receiver on a hook route and took it in and that was it that was Saskatchewan's season and it was the Argo season you talk about the mood you've said it to me before too about how you could sense it for those in the stadium you were in the stadium last year I wasn't same thing again this year so what 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 do you mean like you could sense it you could feel it when you watch that in the in the press conference after the game um Mwamba um and Macbeth were both I don't want to say giddy but there was an energy that they had that, you know, that we just had not seen uh, all season in press conferences. There was um, like an excitement that that this was like a challenge that the team had met and had bonded over. 
Um, you could just feel, you know, <laughs> Chris Edwards had returned. Um, you could just feel that it was a different Argo team after that win. Um, and that the two leaders both felt that and were just incredibly excited about how the team had fought back against, you know, a, a team that had, like, I'm sure Saturday will be predominantly Saskatchewan fans in the crowd. And to to grind that win out, um, you know, it, it you just had a, there was an energy in the press conference after that I have not and haven't since, um, you know, felt. It was uh, pretty electric. That's interesting. And it's, I, I know there are moments like that in a season. I know during the Bengals Super Bowl run a couple of years ago, as a Bengals fan, you know, I was watching a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, you mean the Super Bowl appearance run? Appearance, yeah. Super Bowl okay. appearance run. That's, that's all the Bengals have is three Super Bowl appearances. Um, so that's what I have to deal with. So excuse mm-hmm. me if I say Super Bowl run. They ran to the Super Bowl and then fell over. Uh, the they talked about there was a game where they beat Baltimore handily, and after the game, there's a, a clip of Joe Burrow on the sideline going up and down to his teammates and basically saying like, like if if we can win this game, we can win this division. Why can't we win the whole thing? And there was this sort of realization there because they've been coming off years of of struggling and losing, and suddenly they were beating good teams and they were on top of their division. They realized like, hey, wait, this this could be us. And I think maybe that's a little bit of that feeling the Argos had last year is if you can beat Saskatchewan in that tougher environment and and have the, the skill to do that, then you can kind of beat anybody. That was the sense that they had coming out of that game. So, yeah, that, that must have been a pretty cool, um, cool feeling in that in that postgame presser. Let's get to that Halifax report then, JB. So you're there. You've been in, in Halifax for a little while now. Um, first of all, let's start with weather. What's it What's it look like for this week? Is it, have you been, because I know there's been some, I've seen some like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm here in in, uh, in in sunny Euclid right now on Vancouver Island. Uh, are you still getting snowball-sized hail coming down on you? No, it was, so on, on Friday, we definitely had, um you know the thunderstorms of the likes we've never seen and flash flooding and a month's worth of rain in an hour so friday was uh horrific uh this week has been incredibly hot like 35 degrees every day which is unusual usually you don't get above 30. um very humid much more humidity than halifax normally experiences normally the ocean kind of cools halifax down but Apparently the ocean is quite warm now. Um, so this week is really hot and the weather for Saturday um, is now uh, rainy and humid. So kind of showers on and off, but humidity really high and temps probably close to 30 at kickoff. Um, so it's going to it's going to feel Toronto ishy. I'm torn on rain. Usually I don't like it if I'm the better team because I find that weather is an equalizer. No matter what the weather is, whether it's wind, rain, snow, it tends to um, even out uh, any advantage a team has. But I do think Toronto suits playing in the rain better than Saskatchewan probably does. I, I just think that's... I think Toronto can turn on that power run game better than Saskatchewan can. So nothing wrong with Saskatchewan's run game, but it's not really the... The, the power run game that you often see in bad weather. I, again, we're t- talking about turf fields, so it's it's not like the old school power running where you're you're in a mud bowl. But 
I, I do think that is a slight advantage to Toronto. The humidity, certainly, because they, they, you know, they're in humidity every day. It's 40 degrees in Toronto in the summertime with humidity almost every day. So that is an edge. Yeah, it, it did not call for heavy rain right now. It's just um, kind of on and off. Uh, as it often is, I guess, there uh, where you don't know until you wake up that morning what the weather's going to be. <laughs> it is true. Uh, otherwise, what's going on? So tell me about where the game is. So uh, we we know it's at St. Mary's. Like, where is that for us that, that aren't from Halifax, that don't live in Halifax? Uh, tell me about the setup of this. Yeah, so um, Halifax being a peninsula is not very big geographically. Uh, St. Mary's is down in the south end beside uh, just down the road from Dalhousie, the two main universities in the city. Um, so St. Mary's is down by the water. Uh, and it is also in a very kind of nice part of town, if you will, sort of a more expensive part of town. The stadium um, only holds about 3,000 people normally, so it's quite a jump. They're expecting the stands to hold 11. You see estimates between 9 and 11, but the temporary seating they've put in have boosted up to 11, Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how they managed to do that. Uh, they did it before uh, for a game here. So um, that'll be quite a, a scene. I'm, you know, there's not a ton of parking and it'll be interesting to see logistically um, how they're able to, to work that out. It'll be a different animal than Wolfville in terms of the pregame and whether there's areas for, um, for tailgating and such, but I, I'm really excited because uh, you know it's it's right in the city. People can essentially walk to it, or you know, take a quick Uber to it from from the bars uh, on Spring Garden. So I think it's gonna, you know, I think it's gonna be a really good vibe. Um, you know, the the city is not exploded with people yet, but I know the Rough Riders have a couple of events planned for Wednesday night and Thursday night. Um, so I would assume we're going to start seeing a lot more green-shirted people as as the week goes on. Uh, I'd be curious to see if it'll be as tilted as it was last year. Uh, I think it probably will. But uh, yeah, the city the city is excited, and certainly St. Mary's and the league have not ruled out the idea of keeping this temporary stands up at St. Mary's, whether that means trying to have an east coast team next year or not but there certainly is uh, some interest in in potentially keeping keeping the stands up hopefully saturday goes really well and the downtown businesses get a huge boost in customers and there's no incidents or the rich people who live near St. Mary's don't complain about the noise, and uh, you know then we'll go from there. It could it could be a real shot of adrenaline to to get the city involved. So I'm I'm really uh, excited to see how they pull it off. I hope it's a barn burner game that comes down to the wire. I hope it's a game that's that is like for whatever reason the last play of the game is is viral and it's on every newscast like all around the world and Halifax is getting all this attention because of it like I think that is is what I want to see from this game in terms of like outside of the Argos and the Rough Riders just kind of looking at Halifax's future in the CFL I think being in a positive way on the world stage and seeing sort of uh, you know uh, an avenue to get to that I think might be a real positive thing for for people in Halifax that aren't or maybe are on the fence about this. That's I don't know. That's my thought. I don't know. You you would get a much better sense of it. Um, now the teams aren't 
aren't down there this week like they were last year. Like last year, I remember you going to Argos practice uh, a few days in a row. They got there, I think, on the Tuesday or the Wednesday of that week. This year, this the league isn't having them do that. Both teams arrive on Friday. Is this better or worse? Like if you were Coach Dinwiddie, would you want to spend all week in Halifax? Or are you better, you think, just treating it like any other road game, you arrived the day before? I think it's, I mean, as, I mean, as coach, I think coming on the Friday is probably the best. I think it's the simplest. Uh, the guys were there last year. They kind of know what it's like. But to to just come on the Friday and, and get ready to play ball, I think from a coach point of view is the best. I think it's unfortunate that there was a missed opportunity to have some PR events downtown Halifax. Um, you know, there's a great grand parade. There's great places that they might have been able to, you know, to do some social media stuff or to have the guys on the waterfront. I know they did a bit of that last year. My guess would be that the Rough Riders were not very happy that their whole team got COVID last year and uh, that that might have been mentioned to the league. And it wiped out their whole season. Yeah, that, you know, that game was a mess. I mean, even though things are fine here, but I mean, it, it you know, that is a reality. It did happen. So my my guess is, is they probably mentioned that to... Uh, <laughs> to the league in terms of coming back. Uh, so that's too bad because I, I, I think there could have been some some more in-town hype, but the game is sold out from, I guess, from a league perspective. They're all good. I, it's funny. I've forgotten all about that, like how many riders uh, were absent from the, because I, I was stuck in Regina for days because they had to postpone the game because they had so many riders yeah. with COVID. So they postponed yeah, the game I, I a couple think, days. I don't think they forgot. <laughs> no, they have not forgotten that, I'm sure. Yeah, there were so many. Jake Dolagala started that game. So, yeah. All right. Uh, that, uh, yeah, that's this is exciting. Like, I'm going to be, uh, and again, just a programming note for next week. Uh, our post game reaction podcast is going to come later than usual, probably the next day. Uh, I'm in BC still at that time, and I will be in transit back to Toronto. So we'll probably set up for a post game reaction pod the following day once I'm back uh, in my studio and and we get uh, JB uh, back from the bars um, after after covering the game and the the parties that will uh, undoubtedly break out in in Halifax. What's that main street where all the bars are? Uh, well, I guess Spring Garden for Spring lack of Garden. one, but I mean, I, I think Argyle also downtown. Yeah, that's a, that's a really it's a really cool area. I love Halifax. Like not having spent a lot of time there, I just think it's such a such a neat place. So I'm hoping uh, if the Argos get another opportunity, I've missed out twice on getting out to the East Coast for for Argos games. If they go again next year, I will find a way to be there. All right, JB, it is time for everybody's favorite segment. It's OCDC. <laughs> OCDC is brought to you by the Business Barbershop and Spa, and they invite you to attend Tobacco's premier licensed men's grooming lounge for hair, face, and body care, celebrating 10 years in the Kingsway. And the Business Barbershop and Spa is having a promotion right now. If you get a service with them, you are entered to win a $200 gift card. All you've got to do is mention Argo's all about the business. Just mention that you're an Exes and Argos listener. They will put you into that $200 gift card draw. It's a fantastic place to go get a haircut, a shave, uh, a, a spa service. It's it's all fantastic. It's right on the subway line, right at Royal York and Bloor. So do check out uh, the business barbershop and spa. OCDC this week is really simple for me. I don't know how simple it is for, for you, JB, but let's take a look at the Saskatchewan Rough Riders first. I'll run the offense. You run Saskatchewan's defense. For me, the offensive plan is getting the ball downfield. I think 
the the short passing game usually is a way to carve up Toronto. Like Toronto will give you yards. Toronto Toronto will surrender passing yards. If you look at their stats, you say, well, look, Toronto hasn't really been that good in pass defense. They have. The stats are misleading. They give you yards. They will give you the underneath stuff all day long. But for Saskatchewan, that's it's not good enough. It's not going to be enough. You saw that in BC last week. BC basically played Saskatchewan the way that Toronto plays everybody. They dropped a lot. They were playing a lot of four. They were they were um, even when they played man, it was off man, and so everything was happening in front of them, and and the defenders were coming downhill. And Saskatchewan just doesn't have uh, enough to be able to turn those into big explosive plays. Even with the receivers they've got coming back, that's not really their game. And so I'm going to strategize here for Saskatchewan. I need stuff to happen in the in the mid-range and the long-range stuff downfield. And so some of these guys we've got coming back, I want to see Winicky on deep dig routes. I want to see him on, on deeper comeback routes. Uh, I do want to see them... Stretch the field with go routes. If Keen Schaefer Baker can go, I want Keen Schaefer Baker from the slot running like slot fades and corner routes and give Fine some deeper targets downfield because it's not like Fine can't make those throws downfield. It's just that there, the opportunities weren't there. They weren't open downfield last week and then they stopped trying them. After like they once they got to the second quarter, everything was short. And so that's the way that, that they've got to attack this. I would not even try to get the running game uh, going. I don't even think it's it's worth it. I think you do it the way Hamilton did last week. You take a page out of their playbook. Hamilton couldn't get Butler going on the ground, so they got him going through the air. Toronto is, is vulnerable to screens. We've seen that in two straight weeks now. It was really bad against Montreal. But even last week against Hamilton, with a week to prepare for it, knowing that that's how Montreal carved them up, Toronto still let up some, some serious screen yardage. So that's the way I would get... Uh, the the running game uh, involved for Saskatchewan. It's not through traditional running. It's through those screen passes. So that's my offensive plan. Use some screens, get the ball downfield, and win a key on the deep digs and deep comebacks. JB, you are the Saskatchewan defense. How are you stopping the Toronto Argonauts? It is not an easy task. Uh, I thought Hamilton uh, did a really good job of, of keeping the run in check. Um and Toronto was still able to just eat them alive with those, like, um, you know, inside the number throws uh, that Chad was making. Uh, Chad can make all the throws. He can, you know, he can throw a sideline if you want. He can throw a rocket if you want to play inside the numbers. Um, the running game is patient and in the second half finally wears people down. <sighs> if I'm a defensive coordinator, I, I guess I have to try and and do something that nobody else has because teams have sort of loaded up against the run it hasn't worked um i i guess if i'm a defensive coordinator i'm really going to try and focus on stopping the pass and and simply let toronto run uh and 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 live with the run and just decide that you know we're going to you know we're not going to we're not you know we're going to rush 3 uh we're not coming after chad uh, we're just going to make sure that we are, you know, that we have man coverage on these underneath underneath routes, and that we have um, safety help, and you know, like basically dropping seven, um, and 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 enforcing Toronto to uh, to run the ball. And I don't know if that would work, but nothing has really worked. Um, but that that's what I would try. I would I would try and go with a, a pass defense and and see if 
if I can get Chad frustrated enough to make some bad decisions because he doesn't have the windows he normally has and, you know, maybe kind of play on that um, confidence he has and see if I can get him to throw some balls into into windows that he shouldn't. Switching to the good guys here, my offensive plan for Toronto is mostly running. I just think that that's where there's a real advantage. Saskatchewan's secondary played very well last week. They, they've got a couple guys that just had lights out games against a really difficult team to cover. Like BC's got skill all over the place and they did a pretty good job holding them in check. Like they just didn't, what is it, 19 points? Like that's, that's a good job on defense against that unit, even with Dane Evans as the quarterback for most of that. Evans is fine. So I, I just don't think that's where you have the mismatches that you do uh, compared to the ground game. So... I want a lot of A.J. Olette, Andrew Harris packages. We saw them bust out a few new looks last week against Hamilton. So we'd seen them run that wham play a few times previous in the season where you've got uh, basically where one of them is lined up as the back, the other guy's lined up in the slot, and then they rotate over where they shift the strength of the formation and switch who the back is. And they have slightly different skill sets, so that does actually matter. But then the guy that went in motion comes and traps back across the formation and traps the defensive tackle um, in that sort of wham look and that opens up a middle run. This week, there's got to be a progression off of that. So we've seen a few stages and Dinwiddie loves doing this. You look at him last year, you look at him the year before that, he will get into packages and each week play off of what you're ready. And so you can bet the riders will be ready for that stuff. They'll be ready for Harris's and Olette as a tight end running to the strength side. They'll be ready for those wham plays we talked about. They'll be ready for the outside sweeps that we've seen with both of them. So now it's time for the next progression. I don't know what the next progression is. For me, I like the idea of coming back across the formation. So if you have either Olette or Harris lined up as a wing to the right, Instead of running a middle trap like we've seen or running sort of power to the right, instead I like the idea of bringing that H back across the formation and kicking out the defensive end, not in a zone right, but instead in a a run to the left. And so what you now have is like, if we're running to the left side, you have Harris lined up on the right, he comes across the formation, kicks out the guy on the left side, and you've got Olet running off his block. And that allows the left tackle to go right after a linebacker right away. And plays like that, that we haven't seen the Argos run. It's just another evolution in in a two-back game. I just think of all the two-back stuff uh, that, that I've run in the past. Like trying to get as much of that into uh, on film exposes other things. Because that also opens up a Chad Kelly boot. So now if that same action, now Kelly pulls it and he boots around. And I don't know if the Argos have these in their playbook or if this is something else that's the progression is is elsewhere, but we know there will be a progression. Coach Dinwiddie always has it. I'm hoping this week it's in the run game and it's off of those plays we've already seen. JV, what's your defensive plan for Toronto this week? Saskatchewan, is, I mean, it's hard because of the different quarterbacks. Um, Saskatchewan is not particularly good offensively. They're going to add in those wide receivers, which will help. Um, they don't run the ball particularly well. They don't throw it particularly well. They don't throw it deep uh, that well. So, like, statistically, I, I wouldn't say that there's a ton to be over-prepared for. I think you want to make sure that you're clamping down on that run so they're not getting free yards on that first down and then when they're in second and long uh bring heat because they've shown themselves not able their second worst in sacks allowed 
Um, so I, I think that's what you're looking at. I think you're looking at, you know, if they're coming run, they want to run first. It's like just two yards, three yards. So make sure you have that run under control and then, um, you know, unleash the dogs and, and, and go get them. Um, I think you're looking to do that. If, if you don't get them in second and long, then I think you're just playing bend, don't break. Um, they're not a big score. They're not a big strike team. They get down the red zone and they're just not very good in the red zone. So um, I think I'm perfectly fine with Saskatchewan moving between the 20s. Um, so, you know, I think that's what you're looking to do is if, if you get second and long, bring everybody. If you don't, just let them move up and down and, and just, you know, play play as they do is once we get down the red zone then we're then we're con- the field is constricted and i think our guys are better uh than their guys when it comes to it but uh i think i think that's the plan is you know, nothing nothing too elaborate uh because certainly saskatchewan has not shown itself to be um a powerhouse offense but Our, sorry go on you have to control mario alford on specials he's the game changer he is if if you can keep Alford in a box um on kick return and punt return, then you're going to win the game. The only chance Saskatchewan has to win this game is either he scores a touchdown or he just simply gives them amazing field position every time. Uh they have that is the number one challenge that the team has is you have to keep Alford um under control. If they do that, there is no chance that they lose. And this ties right into one thing. One thing Indeed, for, and that is that no, is what, my one thing. So no, is no, no Alford, Alford touchdown. No Alford touchdowns as your one thing. And so my one thing is similar, although it's not specific to Alford. I, I want no big plays over forty yards. I don't even want a forty yard kickoff return. Nothing over forty yards. If you can do that, like the Argos come out of this game and Saskatchewan doesn't have a single play that that hits for forty yards or more, the Argos win because there's nothing the Riders can do consistently enough. I think otherwise to outscore Toronto under normal circumstances. So like a forty plus yard pick six, for example, a um, a part return, kick return, touchdown. Like those are the ways that Saskatchewan can win this game. And we'll say that all about a lot of teams that the Argos are going to play. The Argos are a really good team. And it was the same thing in Hamilton last week. The way that Hamilton can get back into it is with big returns. We saw McAllister almost do that last week. That's what the Argos have to avoid this week. And that's, in a way, both of our one things. All right, it's a prediction time, JB. I, I see this one as being pretty close. I know the Argos um, are heavy favorites. I think this one comes down to the wire. I think this is a 21-20 game. I do think the weather is going to be a factor. I think the wind, potentially the rain, uh, you never know how it's going to be out in the ocean, but 21-20, Argos win. How do you see this one? Uh, interesting. I, I see it a little higher score. Um, I think it, I see it more uh, 33-28 Toronto. I think Saskatchewan's going to give them a real run. I think the game is really important to Saskatchewan. They're getting those receivers back. Uh, Alford is an incredible weapon. I think Saskatchewan's going to throw everything into this game. I think it's I think it's going to be the the biggest challenge Toronto's had this season. 
It's time for Put Me Down for 20. And folks, while gambling can be a fun way to enhance your sports viewing experience, it's important to do so responsibly. Set a budget, never bet more than you're happy to lose, an amount that you'd see as the cost of entertainment. And if you know anyone who's developing a gambling problem, uh, you can call the Ontario Problem Gambling Helpline, 1-888-230-3505. JB, this is not your favorite segment right now. I'm guessing. <laughs> no, I am. Uh, I am rapidly approaching cooler status. So uh, I had a good week last week. JB had a bit of a rough one last week. Uh, we started with 200 golden fleeces. Uh, I had uh, the Elks plus 15 uh, last week, uh, and I had Davaris Daniels TD plus 210 last week. And uh, you had Kenny Lawler with a touchdown and uh, Hamilton plus seven and a half combined with the over. Uh, those were those were losing bets. So at the moment, I'm sitting at 281 and you were at 124. So it is time for you to get back into the game this week. Where are no, you I'm going? Feeling... Where are you going for your uh, 20 golden fleeces? Uh, so I have 10 on uh, for the Argos. I have uh, 10 on Curly Gittins Jr. I think he's back. I think he's feeling fresh. I think he and Chad have uh, kind of got a nice uh, chemistry going. They're going to keep building on that. Anytime touchdown, Curly Gittins Jr. Um, I like those odds at uh, plus one eighty five. At uh, plus one eighty five, yeah. Yeah, that's what I got here. Now my my bigger one, God help me, I'm I'm involving the Edmonton Elks, <laughs> but you know desperate times call for desperate measures. So. Uh, the Elks are playing the Lions at home. Um, I think the Elks still lose at home, so I'm not going that far. But uh, I have the Elks covering the nine and a half spread, and I have the under on the game um, for plus uh, two thirty. Okay, that's a nice. Again, you just need a couple of these to hit, and you're right back in it. But, I agree. Uh, Come yeah, on, you, Elks. You, you can't have another zero in two weeks. So, so no. hopefully, fingers crossed. My on pick, that one. My, my pickem is, is is doing very well. Yeah, your pickems are great. It's just these. Yeah, these bets have not been great. All right. My 20 golden fleeces this week, uh, I have got, uh, I'm going to put 10 on Hamilton plus 150. Uh, Hamilton playing the Red Blacks. I just don't think the Red Blacks are what a lot of people seem to think they are right now. I know they're a good team. I, I'm not going to say they're not, but they're not a team without holes. And I think they've been really lucky at times. Like both of their, both of their wins, the last two wins, they're huge wins, but they were like a hair away from not happening. I wrote another piece this week on Three Down Nation. Uh, it's uh, um, called Ben's Breakdown. This is now my weekly segment there where I'm looking at a, a big play each week. For two weeks in a row, it's been the Ottawa Red Blacks. It's been Dustin Crumb because that's that's been the big play of the week. But if you look at these breakdowns that I've written, there's so many variables that go into them and they're just like you know inches away from not happening at all. I think their luck runs out this week. I think Hamilton probably wins that game. Plus 150 is a good price. So that's where 10 of my fleeces are going. And then the other 10 for the Toronto game, uh, I got uh, I got Sean Bain with under 55 and a half yards receiving. Uh, I just think that that's, uh, it's not that that's a high number. I just think that's not a number that, that the defense is going to allow. So I, I think that one will come through, especially if there are going to be additions in the receiving core. All right, JB, let's get to our CFL picks. So Hamilton at Ottawa. I've already said I'm taking Hamilton. Where are you going in that game? Oh, let me just do our records first because I do have to shine a bit of light on you here. Um, JB is winning this right now. 17 wins, 10 losses. I am at 16 and 11. We both were 3-1 and one last week. So 
Ottawa at Hamilton, where are you going? I'm oh, sorry, Hamilton at Ottawa. Uh, I like Ottawa. I think that we, or certainly I had, I mean, we did both, but certainly I really felt that they were a sleeping giant and that if they had any quarterback play at all, they would be a very good team. And look, Crum has come in and been really everything they hoped Mazzoli would be. And I like Ottawa. I think they're. I think they are better than Hamilton, and they're at home. I like them to win. And for Saskatchewan, Toronto, we both have Toronto. BC at Edmonton. I've got BC in this. Uh, are you going to gamble, JB? I know you like them with the points. Would you no, gamble? I, I, no, no, no. I they like want BC. you to. Like, they would. They would love it. <laughs> I like BC on top there. I just. I have Edmonton covering. That's that's more than enough. On the I, I want the entertainment value of you picking Edmonton and then them never, losing on a rush again. I will never pick Edmonton <laughs> at home. Not. I don't care what juice you give me. The last game is Calgary at Montreal. Uh, I don't know. This is this is a tough one. <laughs> I I'm not sure. I don't know. I still don't know if I know who Montreal is yet. No. I, I kind of have. I have a better feel for Calgary. Montreal is a little bit more weird to me. I think I'm going to take Montreal. It's in Montreal. Man, Calgary needs this game so badly. But I think Montreal doesn't want to let Ottawa start getting away from them. And I think they're not a bad team. So I'm going to go with Montreal here. Yeah, I'm the same. Uh, Montreal at home, coming off the bye. I think that's enough to give them the nod. All right. Well, uh, as we said, that programming note, uh, we will be coming to you our post game will be coming to you probably a day later uh, when we're uh, all uh, you know back together in our usual studio and everything else, and it won't be as difficult with you. We're coast to coast today. We've we've never done that before with JB on the Atlantic Ocean and me on the Pacific Ocean. It is not easy to arrange recording times <laughs> with this four hour window. So I know it's the middle of the night for you probably now, but uh, it's no, uh, just four hours. I know that you. I had to explain that to you when you thought we should record at night. Yeah, I know. Well, originally I thought, well, yeah. Yeah, why don't we record at nine uh, once my kids go yeah. to sleep? They're like, yeah, that'll be one in the morning for me. Yeah, that's right. It's not going to happen. Well, that will just about do it for us on this edition of the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough. If you are heading out to Halifax, have a great time. I know it always is a good time. We got a lot of Argos fans heading out there. So, yeah, please enjoy yourself. I hope the game is a great one. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Fight the 